Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today we will begin our study of Article 7 of the Apostles' Creed. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And as we always do, let's first begin by reading uh, the text itself. Beginning on page 80 in my text, the text begins with a paragraph subtitled, The Meaning of This Article. And so we read, For the glory and adornment of his church, Jesus Christ is invested with three eminent offices and functions, those of Redeemer, Mediator, and Judge. Since in the preceding articles it was shown that the human race was redeemed by his passion and death, and since by his ascension into heaven it is manifest that he has undertaken the perpetual advocacy and patronage of our cause, it remains that in this article we set forth his character as judge. The scope and intent of the article is to declare that on the last day Christ the Lord will judge the whole human race. And then the words, from thence he shall come. The sacred scriptures inform us that there are two comings of the Son of God, the one when he assumed human flesh for our salvation in the womb of a virgin, the other when he shall come at the end of the world to judge all mankind. This latter coming is called, in scripture, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, says the apostle, shall come as a thief in the night. And our Lord himself says, of that day and hour no one knoweth. <clears throat> to judge the living and the dead. In proof of the last judgment, it is enough to adduce the authority of the apostle. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the proper things of the body, according as he hath done, whether it be good or evil. And that's St. Paul, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. There are numerous passages of sacred scripture which the pastor will find in various places and which not only establish the truth of the dogma, but also place it in vivid colors before the eyes of, of the faithful. And if from the beginning of the world that day of the Lord on which he was clothed with our flesh was sighed for by all as the foundation of their hope of deliverance, so also after the death and ascension of the Son of God, we should make that other day of the Lord the object of our most earnest desires, looking for the blessed hope and coming of the glory of the great God. And that's from Titus chapter 2, verse 13. <clears throat> the Catechism continues with the subheading, Two Judgments. In explaining this subject, the pastor should distinguish two different occasions on which everyone must appear in the presence of the Lord to render an account of all his thoughts, words, and actions and to receive immediate sentence from his judge. The first takes place when each one of us departs this life, for then he is instantly placed before the judgment seat of God, where all that he has ever done or spoken or thought during life shall be subjected to the most rigid scrutiny. This is called the particular judgment. The second occurs when on the same day and in the same place all men shall stand together before the tribunal of their judge that in the presence and hearing of all human beings of all times, each may know his final doom and sentence. The announcement of this judgment will constitute no small part of the pain and punishment of the wicked, 
whereas the good and just will derive great reward and consolation from the fact that it will then appear what each one was in life. This is called the general judgment. And then the Catechism continues with reasons for the general judgment. It is necessary to show why, besides the particular judgment of each individual, a general one should also be passed upon all men. Those who depart this life sometimes leave behind them children who imitate their conduct, dependents, followers, and others who admire and advocate their example, language, and actions. Now by all these circumstances, the rewards or punishments of the dead must needs be increased. Since the good or bad influence of example, affecting as it does the conduct of many, is to terminate only with the end of the world. Justice demands that in order to form a proper estimate of all these good or bad actions and words, a thorough investigation should be made. This, however, could not be without a general judgment of all men. Moreover, as the character of the virtuous frequently suffers from misrepresentation, while that of the wicked obtains the commendation of virtue, the justice of God demands that the former recover, in the public assembly and judgment of all men, the good name of which they had been unjustly deprived before men. Again, as the just and the wicked perform their good and evil actions in this life, not without the cooperation of the body, it necessarily follows that these actions belong also to the body as to their instrument. It was therefore altogether suitable that the body should share with the soul the due rewards of eternal glory or punishment, but this can only be accomplished by means of a general resurrection and of a general judgment. Next, it is important to prove that in prosperity and adversity, which are sometimes the promiscuous lot of the good and of the bad, everything is done and ordered by an all-wise and all-just providence. It was therefore necessary not only that rewards should await the just and punishment the wicked in the life to come, but that they should be awarded by a public and general judgment. Thus, they will become better known and will be rendered more conspicuous to all, and in atonement for the unwarranted murmurings, to which on seeing the wicked abound in wealth and flourish in honors, even the saints themselves, as men, have sometimes given expression, a tribute of praise will be offered by all to the justice and providence of God. Scripture says, My feet, says the prophet, were almost moved, my steps had well nigh slipped, <clears throat> because I had a zeal on occasion of the wicked, seeing the prosperity of sinners. And a little after, Behold, these are sinners, and yet abounding in the world they have obtained riches. And I said, Then have I in vain justified my heart and washed my hands among the innocent, and I have been scourged all the day, and my chastisement hath been in the morning." And that's from Psalm 72, verse 2, 3, and 12. This has been the frequent complaint of many, and a general judgment is therefore necessary, lest perhaps men may be tempted to say that God walketh about the poles of heaven and regards not the earth. And that citation was from Job chapter 22, verse, verse 14. <clears throat> And so that's the section, that's the very beginning section of this 
uh, tr treatment by the Catechism of the Seventh Article. There's a reference in the Catechism <clears throat> to uh, the Summa in the third part where St. Thomas in question 59, Article 5, asks the question whether after the judgment that takes place in the present time, there remains yet another general judgment. And so St. Thomas says in the body of this article, I answer that judgment cannot be passed perfectly upon any changeable subject before its consummation just as judgment cannot be given perfectly regarding the quality of any action before its completion in itself and in its results. Because many actions appear to be profitable, which in their effects prove to be hurtful. And in the same way, perfect judgment cannot be passed upon any man before the close of his life, since he can be changed in many respects from good to evil or conversely, or from good to better, or from evil to worse. Hence the Apostle says, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. And St. Thomas continues, But it must be observed that although man's temporal life in itself ends with death, still it continues dependent in a measure on what comes after it in the future. In one way, as it still lives on in men's memories, in which sometimes, contrary to the truth, good or evil reputations linger on. In another way, in a man's children, who are, so to speak, something of their parent, according to Ecclesiasticus chapter 30, verse 4, his father is dead, and he is as if he were not dead, for he hath left one behind him that is like himself. And yet many good men have wicked sons, and conversely. Thirdly, as to the result of his actions, just as from the deceit of Arius and other false leaders, unbelief continues to flourish down to the close of the world. And even until then, faith will continue to derive its progress from the preaching of the apostles. In a fourth way, as to the body, which is sometimes buried with honor and sometimes left unburied, and finally falls to dust utterly. In a fifth way, as to the things upon which a man's heart is set, such as temporal concerns, for example, some of which quickly lapse while others endure longer. Now all these things are submitted to the verdict of the divine judgment, and consequently a perfect and public judgment cannot be made of all these things during the course of this present time. Wherefore, there must be a final judgment at the last day, in which everything concerning every man in every respect shall be perfectly and publicly judged. So that's the article. Uh, that's, again, the fifth article in question 59 of the third part, where St. Thomas gives many reasons why there must be a general judgment. And he says that we have to wait to the very end of a man's, not only the end of a man's life, but the very end of the world, uh, wherein we can trace the effects um, 
and fruits of a man's action. Uh, not only, for example, because of his, his teaching, such as the effects of the, the deceits of um, heretics like Arius or other false leaders, um, where their, their teachings continue to flourish down to the close of the world, um, but also of the good, it's impossible to judge the full measure of a person's life, except we wait until the very end of, of time. <clears throat> and so that's a very interesting reason to, to show that there must be a general judgment at the end of the world um, so that we can, uh, so, that a, so that every human being can be properly judged in the fullness of his actions, whether it's through his children or his teaching um, or the memories. Um, so that's St. Thomas Aquinas again, question 59, article 5, and he has other, he has many other articles about uh, Christ's uh, judiciary power that we may look into next time. But we will end there today, um, having commenced our study of the seventh article, and we look forward to continuing uh, with this article next time. Thanks very much for joining me. I'm Mark Langley, and I look forward to joining you next time as we explore the Catechism of the Council of Trent together.